Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex Podcast. I'm Jawad as always and thank you for joining me this week. Hope everyone's doing well, everyone's okay out there. Um, had an interesting weekend this week. Kend and also just this week in general, there's been a lot of news coming out in and around Formula One. Definitely going to be a F1-centric podcast. I mean, it's interesting I have to say that <laughs> in the first place because you would expect, you know, you're talking about racing, that you would um, be an F1 podcast or whatever. But, you know, people who know me, I do like to diversify and all that sort of stuff. I do like other motorsport categories out there, but definitely going to be... A bit F1-centric this week, I'm going to try and cover off most of the news if I can, Bahrain Grand Prix over the weekend, and then the Sakia Grand Prix coming up this weekend too, so yeah, and two races to go now for this year, Um, I'm sure a lot of us will be, you know, less, you know, sad, more kind of happy that we've kind of reached the end of this year, this crazy year that it's been, Um, you know, again, a big shout out to, you know, not only the teams and the drivers and the crews and everyone, but just everyone directly related um, to running this season, because, you know, without those guys, we would have had a 2020 Formula One season after the impacts of the COVID pandemic on the world so big big thank you once again uh because we wouldn't have had a a championship you know as much as people want to bash on the year and everything be like oh you know it's a snooze fest blah 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 i think you know it's still better than having no racing at all which i think you know most of us would have gone pretty bananas if it didn't happen and we wouldn't be here talking about that sort of stuff you know i mean what could I talk about instead if there was no F1? Well, obviously the other motorsport categories, supercars, MotoGP and all, you know, I could sit here and tell you why the um, prequels are better than the Star Wars sequel trilogy as well, but, you know, that's it's a bit of a contentious topic, I'm sure, but um, yeah, I'm sure there's people out there who, who agree with me that the, the prequels indeed are, are not bad. I know, I'm just a bit, I'm, I'm rambling a little bit, I'm pretty guilty of that, but uh Let's get straight into it, and I think starting off, uh, first of all, just thank the lucky stars, you know, thank whatever, whoever, you know, whatever you're into, just a big thank you that, you know, we didn't have anything worse happen over the weekend, you know, such a huge relief that nothing worse happened to Roman Grosjean in that first lap crash in Bahrain, you know, uh, I think it's one of the most terrifying shunts that I've seen in all the years I've been watching Formula One, you know, we've seen fireballs and stuff, you know, back in the era of refueling, I'm sure people would think about Jos Verstappen and everything, catching fire, you know, but this is kind of along the lines of, you know, Nicky Lauda almost back in 76, and, you know, I'm I'm not going to say that I was around it, when that happened, but, you know, in avoiding the debris, um, on the first lap, of course, there's chaos, Grosjean veers to the right there at turn three, only to go into the path of Danik Fiat, and that, you know, contact basically spears Grosjean into the Armco barrier, um, just after turn three on the outside, um, and when I mean spear, I mean literally spear, he speared into there to the point where the Armco was kind of split in half through the middle, you know, the car rubbed on, 
basically erupted on fire with contact upon the contact and the chassis was cut in half you know the front end was completely destroyed you saw in the aftermath the rear of the car kind of intact but literally just cut in half which you know is one of the most terrifying and bizarre incidents that we've seen you know in the last let's say two decades um such a scary scary incident you know um Grosjean my first instinct and I'm sure a lot of people watching the crash or watching the race live at the time the first instinct would have been are we dealing with a fatality here you know, like, not to not to think the worst-case scenario immediately. And, you know, this is a big hats off and praise to the safety that, f- you know, Formula One employs in the modern era. You know, how safe these cars are now. Um, my first instinct was seeing that explosion that, you know, the worst happened. But, luckily, that was not the case. You know, luckily, Grosjean had not, you know knocked himself out, you know, he retained consciousness throughout, and he was able to quickly jump out of the car, you know, amongst the fireball, and the safety team extracted him, you know, the medical car was on the scene straight away, uh, and that's, you know, credit to the FIA for the rule that they have about the medical car um, following the cars off on the first lap, you know, in case of an incident like this or, you know, other kinds of madness and, you know, big shout out and hats off to Alan Vandermeer, the medical car driver and Dr. Ian Roberts, of course, um, who helped in assisting Grosjean out of the, out of the fireball. It was good to see Roman walking as well, you know, and walking into the medical car and then, of course, immediately transferred to hospital with the minor burns to his hands and ankles and um, at first they had thought uh, there was some broken ribs, but that was not the case. When you have an impact at 221 kilometres an hour, uh, front on, of course, all sorts of stuff can happen, you know, and imagine if Grosjean had been knocked out and was sitting unconscious in that car at the time that the the chassis erupt, you know, the fuel cell um, ruptured and everything, it would have been disaster, you know, so that's where just feeling so grateful and so happy that even, you know, during the red flag period, which was, you know, about an hour and a half that it took to repair um, the scene, you know, they get some concrete barriers in to replace that armco, which was pretty much destroyed, that, you know, Grosjean was, you know, conscious, he was walking away, he um, gave the thumbs up and everything best he could, I don't think he gave a physical thumbs up, but you know what I mean, Um, and he just got taken off to hospital for some checks and everything, and yeah, you know, the the debate about the halo, you know, coming in a couple of years ago where people were up in arms about, oh, you know, the, the visual element and also, you know, Formula One is dangerous, motorsport is dangerous, you know, we need to live on the edge, blah, 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 you know, but it saved a life here today or, you know, the other, the other day over the weekend. I know for a fact that I was a critic as well at the time of Halo, um, only for the fact that 
not not from a visual perspective, but I thought you know a better um, solution was out there that um, they just need to go find it. But since then, you know, it's had an impact on you know so many different races. You look back to Spa a couple of years ago with Alonso going over Charles Leclerc as well, how that made a difference in the um, the damage that was on the halo that it sustained. You know, that wheel could have easily hit Leclerc's head, for example. So, you know, the halo in this instance prevented any damage to Grosjean, you know, going through the barrier, which just... Yeah, you know, like, as much as we love motorsport, as much as we love the thrill of it being on the edge and everything, um, at the same time, we don't want to see the worst-case scenario happen, and in this instance, uh, a death of a driver or something, and when you look at Grosjean as well, um, married and has children too, you know, think about that impact as well, so, you know, as much as we love being on the edge with this sort of stuff, it's, you know, we don't want to see the worst-case scenario, so... Super, super lucky, super, super happy in this instance. You know, Grosjean was discharged from hospital um, yesterday afternoon, Wednesday afternoon. So, you know, that's good to hear. He was seen um, on social media, of course, uh, with his teammate Kevin Magnussen as well. You know, the two buddies reunited. I wouldn't have thought that those those guys were buddies um, when you look back last year at the Haas team or whatever. But, um, yeah, you know, it was... They seem to be pretty grateful, Magnussen does in particular, and the prospect of uh, Roman being ready to race for Abu Dhabi because he will miss this weekend at the Sakia Grand Prix. So I'll do more on the Sakia Grand Prix and all the information regards Grosjean re- Grosjean's replacement a bit later when we get to it. But for now, let's talk about the Bahrain Grand Prix. And, you know, you just can't um, talk about the... Just she grateful feeling that, you know, having that we didn't um, go down that path and everything. So now that, you know, we've covered that and Roman's fine and everything, let's talk about the Bahrain Grand Prix. An 11th win this season for Lewis Hamilton, five in a row from pole position despite the red flag. Um, Valtteri Bottas again dropping the ball. You know, first he had a poor start off the front row of the grid and then bad luck came in again. After the red flag restart with a puncture and basically put him out of uh, contention for the race. I think he ended up finishing down in P8 anyway while his teammate had a relatively trouble-free run to the checkered flag. Um, straight after the red flag, there was a subsequent safety car after Danny Fiat rolled Lance Stroll over. You know, Stroll was okay and I guess as well... Um, you know, compared to the fireball that we saw earlier, Stroll's car being upside down and everything kind of looked tame in, by comparison. So Stroll was okay. Fiat ended up with a 10-second time penalty, I believe, as well. That was Lance Stroll out of the race too. So his run of form or rotten luck as well continues. Say what you will about Stroll. Um, I'm not going to really give him too much energy in this episode. Um Max Verstappen was a little mad for Red Bull not being aggressive enough with their strategy. Ended up being a three-stop race for those guys because on the final stop, they wanted to uh, put some new tyres on the car and go for the fastest lap. They finished P2 as a result, of course, of Bottas not being in the picture. But um, basically where Hamilton kind of shut the door on Red Bull was the fact that he undercut um, during the first stop 
against Red Bull to prevent them from performing the undercut. And then, of course, when it came to the second stop, Hamilton responded immediately to, um, again, you know, nullify any kind of undercut opportunity for Verstappen. But again, you know, that whole idea of Verstappen being the bridesmaid this year or, you know, him being the third wheel and everything again came into effect during this race. You know, Red Bull, they're not going to win a championship by just trying to undercut them on strategy and everything they don't have the they need outright pace you know first of all whether it's you know they can do it over a whole season or you know on particular weekends they need the outright pace which is what they don't have at the moment they need to be qualifying on pole position ahead of the Mercedes car you know it was good that Alex Halbon of course qualified near his teammate for once you know qualifying on the second row of the grid in fourth behind Verstappen but again it didn't really do much as far as, you know, trying to challenge Mercedes was concerned, so, and even that case, in that case for, for Red Bull, you know, their race was only really made as, of course, by Sergio Perez being crawled by an MGUK failure at the, you know, three laps from the end of the race, um, that allowed Alex Albon to finish on the podium in third, of course, as well, but Perez, let's go back to the start of the race, and he benefited from having a strong start from fifth, you know, jumping the likes of Bottas and Albon, and then even after the red flag, you know, when the positions were kind of switched, because um, there's a rule with the red flag, as soon as it's waved, um, the race is stopped, of course, but, you know, if you t- overtake after that, which, you know, I think a couple of positions were changed after that, um, they would go back to how they were before the red flag came. So, of course, that meant that Perez would have to go back to his position, ended up overtaking Albon and Bottas, of course, and was on track for another podium. You know, consecutive podiums would have been great for Checo. And again, you know, it's a timely reminder to remind the rest of the world that he has no seat for next year. He has no drive um, on the Formula One grid for 2021. You know, it's a harsh harsh reality a big injustice but you know what's he gonna do um if Red Bull are more likely gonna keep Albon they want to keep Albon um it looks less less likely that we're gonna see Perez on the grid and you know this failure of course you know not of his own fault too you know it's doesn't look that great and it meant that Racing Point, of course, that, uh, sorry, it meant, of course, that Racing Point ended the race with zero points as well, so not good for them in their Constructors' Championship battle for P3. The inherited P3 by Albon, though, in the race, you know, was that enough to save his seat? You know, it seems like, regardless of it, it was going to be the case anyway, you know, Red Bull saying that they're going to make their decision at the end of the season after the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix um, as to who will get that second seat, I think, you know, it's likely that it's going to be Albon in this instance, and of course, that'll probably subsequently decide what's going to happen at Alpha Tauri as well, with only, you know, those two seats really up for grabs, and it'll probably be Yuki Sonoda, if, of course, um, Albon stays at Red Bull, but then there is the possibility that Red Bull decide to go for Perez, and then Albon can go back to Alpha Tauri in that instance, so... Talking about the midfield and the Constructors' battle for third in the championship, you know, fourth and fifth for McLaren, Leno Norris and Carlos Sainz, um, you know, jumps them up into P3, which, you know, I'm, you know, been wearing my McLaren wagon, been wearing my McLaren cap and (laughs) mask a couple of times this week, you know, um, with the mask restrictions still, of course, um, in place. 
but yeah, you know, this is what I've been saying all season that I'm sure that their consistency and both drivers' abilities to score crucial points when it matters is what's going to get them into P3 this year. And of course, you know, now with two races to go, they're in a very good position as long as they don't make any mistakes. And for science as well, he qualified 15th, of course, with a brake problem in qualifying that kind of prevented him from going on into Q3. So him taking some bold overtakes, he was a bit of a smooth operator on the day, um, some cool passes there on Charles Leclerc, his future teammate, the Renault drivers as well, um, got him up into fifth for the race, and I guess if Roman Grosjean, sorry, did I burp there? Probably. <laughs> I'm not going to cut that out. Leave it in because I think you all need to hear how real we are on this show, how, you know, raw it is. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't know, whatever. Um, if, of course, Roman Grosjean wasn't voted driver of the day by the fans on the online polls and everything, and, you know, respectfully so that he was, you know, I agree with it fully, I'd say, you know, Science would have been a firm uh, contender for that as well with his smooth operating on the day and yeah crucial points there and then Lando finishing in fourth as well you know um great result and just McLaren up into P3 in the championship they've got a 17 point lead now over Racing Point you know it's another 27 points um sorry 27 points then from them back to Renault as well so and Renault themselves having a pretty you know let's say lackluster race you know uh, both drivers ended up in a position where Daniel Ricciardo had to demand the team to let him pass, you know, some team orders came in, Ocon just not really impressive, and I feel like the drums are beating a little bit for him now, which, you know, if you weren't already kind of saying or questioning Ocon and his speed this year, I think, you know, now's the time to get on there. It's not going to be any easier for him next year, of course, too, when, you know, Renault make the switch to Alpine branding and, of course, Fernando Alonso, the known teammate killer to come into the team. I think, you know, Ocon has it easy with Ricardo as his teammate, especially this year by comparison to Alonso next year. So there's two races left to go and Ocon, you know, he finished eighth in the end, but um, behind his teammate, Sorry, not P8, he didn't finish P8, P9 he finished because Bottas was in P8. I always seem to get this wrong. Um, and his teammate Ricardo in 7th. Um, so again, you know, Ricardo outracing his teammate and not much more to say about poor Esteban. You know, you look back a couple of years ago when he was with Perez at Racing Point for India back in the day. And, you know, those two were coming to blows and everything. And, you know, Perez was still the better driver. And then, of course... Uh, reading somewhere as well that uh, someone made the comparison between Ocon and Pascal Verline when they were together at the Manor racing team back in 2016 that, you know, Verline still had the measure of Ocon. You know, Ocon was drafted in, of course, in the mid-season that year, replacing Rio Harianto and, you know, still Verline was the better driver and, you know, look where Verline is now. He's not in F1. He's over at in Formula E, going to race for Porsche next season, which is really exciting, so I'm like looking forward to Formula E next year as well, even though there's been announcements lately that you've got a, you've got some manufacturers pulling out um, at the end of the next season, but you know, so many cool drivers on the grid there next year, I might have to do a whole nother, whole nother episode talking about that, but um, yeah, 
Ocon just unimpressive on the day. Ricardo did what he could. You know, Renault scored the points, but again, you know, 27 points behind McLaren now. They're going to have to have two really good races, um, rely on perhaps, you know, some non-point scoring finishes for the McLarens too, which, you know, they've got the same power unit, you know, similar aero as well. I think, you know, McLaren might benefit um, at this, like, pretty much low downforce circuit the Sakir, the outer circuit for Bahrain, you know, running Monza levels of wing or whatever. They were pretty impressive in Monza with McLaren and, you know, Renault, you know, McLaren finished on the podium, of course, so good chance for them there. Um, Gone back to Ferrari now, so there was some first lap contact between Leclerc and Vettel, which we heard Vettel on the radio screaming about and everything, but nevertheless, Leclerc did finish in P10, scoring a point there. You had uh, Pierre Gasly with a mega one-stop race as well, en route to P6. So that's pretty much the highlights there of the race. You know, it's, you know, after all the madness and the drama of the first lap, I think um, it was very difficult. You know, I w- would not have been surprised if they decided to call the race then and there with saying that, you know, all oh, the repairs to the barriers is, is too much work. We can't do it in the allocated time and everything. And I would have been content with that because... It was just difficult to kind of take stock, you know, you could see the drivers and the teams in the pit lane, they were all shocked and everything as to what had happened with Grosjean, but ultimately he was okay at the end of the day, and whether any of the drivers then moved on to the race when it got restarted and were a bit tentative about their approach and everything, you know, we'll never know, because I guess their job mentally is to just snap back into it and really make the most of it, go out there, do the thing, Hamilton ended up winning the race, you know, Verstappen hard in P2, good points for Red Bull there with both cars on the podium, I think it's the first time that they've been on the podium together for for a couple of years now, back when um, uh, Ricardo and Verstappen were still together in 2018, so, you know, just, just a hard one, you know, really to mentally adjust and yeah you know at the end of the day and I've said this a million times already so excuse me just super super grateful that we did not have a situation similar to Japan in 2014 which you know that will (laughs) is a day that I will never forget and everything and you know Jules Bianchi um rest in peace (laughs) that's that's all I can say so that's it for Bahrain Let's move into this weekend's race, the Sakir Grand Prix. Same venue, of course, but we're using a different layout, a new layout for F1, closest to thing we're going to have to an oval race, 87 laps across a 3.5-kilometre power circuit. Doing my best impression of Jeremy Clarkson there. (laughs) What a douche, what a douche. Um, And the first ever sub-60 second lap that we're going to see in modern F1, so that's going to be real, real exciting, I'm sure. And already we've had some madness this week with all the news surrounding this race, so let's start with the biggest of them all, and that's the fact that Lewis Hamilton tested positive for COVID Monday afternoon after the Bahrain Grand Prix, so apparently he had contact with someone who had COVID pre-Bahrain and given the fact that Hamilton's been so careful this year with you know he said he's been living like a hermit and not really seeing people on the outside and everything the fact that you know he just let his guard down and this ended up happening 
you know, waking up after the race on Monday with some symptoms, got tested and came out as a positive test. So that's him scratched for the Bahrain Grand Prix. Um, that immediately threw everyone into a frenzy, of course, as you would expect. Uh, I had my hopes initially on Stoffel Van Dorn, the reserve driver for Mercedes, who was due to fly over to Bahrain anyway um, for the Sakia Grand Prix because he is the reserve and test driver, of course. He was in Valencia last week doing some Formula E testing for Mercedes. Um, looking forward to seeing how he runs next year, possibly as a championship contender in Formula E for Mercedes. You know, he finished off the 2020 season on a high, so good to see that. But indeed, it's not Van Dorn who will get the seat, um, rather to my disappointment, and I'm sure a lot of people will hate me for saying that I would have rather Van Dorn, you know, get it. But, hey, we've got George Russell, who's going to make his uh, debut for Mercedes, moving over from Williams for this weekend. Um, We've got Jack Aitken moving up from Formula 2 over to... Williams, he's the test and reserve driver, of course, for Williams, so exciting to see Aitken make his debut, but Russell, you know, it's it's a big move, you know, of course, he's a Mercedes junior driver, he's had a bit of a hard time in F1, of course, he's got the record of, you know, out-qualifying his teammate ever since he made his F1 debut, going back to last year, but he is still yet to score a point in F1, so that's going to change this weekend, you would hope, um, what the expectations are of of Russell, of course, is going to be interesting to see how, what people think. Of course, there'll be people out there who are like, oh, it'll be great to see him be Bottas and everything. You know, let's be realistic, perhaps not, you know, given that it's the first time we're going to see Russell in the car. Mercedes don't really have much to lose, given that they've already wrapped up the Constructors' Championship. And, of course, Hamilton's got the Drivers' Championship in the bag. So, they're just going to have to let him go out there and race. But I think for Bottas, there's probably more to lose in terms of pride and everything. You know, he's had a pretty rotten season to date, of course. His troubles there last weekend are well known. So, it would be pretty insulting for him, I think, if... um, he had someone like Russell come in in his first race and uh, beat him, whether it's, you know, for the win or you know, even for something like pole position ahead of him will be pretty disastrous. So that being said, good luck to Russell. I hope he has a good weekend. You know, it's definitely going to put him further on the map if he gets a solid result. You know, let's say a top five result for Russell would be great if he ends up on the podium even better if he wins the race let's say well that would be a great story to tell for this year given that you know a couple of races ago we saw him hunched over at the side of the Imola circuit after making the mistake behind the safety car and you know throwing away what would have been guaranteed points on that occasion so and just for Mercedes I guess a bit of indication for the young driver program because we haven't really seen any of their young drivers over the years move up in the ranks, you know, when you go back to the likes of Pascal Verlein and um, Esteban Ocon as well and stuff like that, you know, they all just, you know, Verlein's over there in Formula E racing for a rival German manufacturer, you've got Ocon there at Renault now, not even loaned out, you could say, you know, Renault pretty much own him now and then Russell, you know, he's that kind of last lot, you know, last driver standing in terms of that young driver program, so and he's contracted for to Williams for another year next year. So really, you know, this is his chance to make that impression so that if in 2022 by some chance, you know, we don't have Lewis Hamilton there for Mercedes or if Mercedes elect not to continue with Valtteri Bottas as a teammate, then you would logically assume that Russell would be the guy to step in. And, you know, I have no problem with Russell. 
you know, I think he would do a fantastic job at everything, but, you know, if we're talking about favourites and all that sort of thing, which, you know, I know a lot of people do, you know, they love rubbing in who their favourite is and everything, you know, I've, I've got my favourites too, and, you know, Russell isn't really high up on that list, but um, good on him, I'm sure he's going to get some bragging rights there amongst the Twitch quartet, uh, of course, with Lando Norris, Alex Albon and Charles Leclerc, um, and as I said, yeah, top five result would be great, but if he ends up on the podium or better, I think it'll be a great story for this year, and I can't wait to see how that unfolds. It's really going to make this weekend really interesting, seeing, you know, such, you know, levels of change, you know, even with Jack Aitken there at Williams as well, been very eager to see how he'd do an F1 over the last few years, of course, and then um, Roman Grosjean, of course, not being... There at Haas this weekend too. Um, we've got Pietro Fittipaldi making his debut in F1. He's been their test driver for a number of years now. Of course, the Fittipaldi surname returning to F1, a fam- famous name with his grandfather Emerson, um, of course, world championship winner. And you know he's had some uh, relatives, of course, you know, race in the series as well. So great um, to see Pietro. Pietro in there. Sorry, you know, a safe bet. I guess you know some people disappointed that you know they didn't go for Louis Delatraz for example of course who is racing there in F2 this year but um yeah I think Pietro has had more time um in the Haas car over the years and I think would be a safer bet and while we are talking about Haas as well you know they've confirmed their 2021 driver lineup too so Nikita Mazepin to make his debut multi-year deal um for Haas and of course Mick Schumacher as well to make his debut next year, and I think it was probably the worst kept secret (laughs) as far as driver lineups are concerned, so those two guys are finally confirmed, Um, Schumacher possibly with a uh, possibility to drive in Abu Dhabi, if Grosjean is unable to race, he could make his debut there, possibly as a Formula 2 champion as well, with only 17 points between him and Callum Eilat, with this weekend being it. Callum unfortunately had a DNF in the sprint race last weekend, so that pretty much, um, you know, took a bunch of points away from him. But yeah, 17 points with two races to go, I'm sure it can still go either way, but the safe bet would be with Mick. And as a result of Mick Schumacher moving up, of course, to F1, that leaves his Prima seat at NF2 available for next year, and that's actually not available anymore because Oscar Piastri, the um, Formula 3 champion, the Aussie, from Melbourne, moves up into F2 with Primus, so good team for him to move forward in. Um, mixed feelings, I've got to say, about the Haas lineup for next year, you know, big risk putting two rookies in, of course, you know, you look at Mazepin and his reputation, let's not think about, you know, the money and his uh, dad in particular, but just even as a driver, he's a bit fiery, he... Um, you know, likes to put everything on the line, doesn't really care about the consequences kind of thing, you know, he's got some results under his belt in F2, but, you know, it's just that, you know, at at any, you know, at any cost kind of mentality that, um, uh, so, you know, it's that sort of mentality that kind of worries me a little bit, I'm sure other people as well, and for Mick as well, Everyone's going to say, or all the critics will be like, oh, he's there because of the surname, blah, blah, blah. Yes, it does open doors, but I'm sure he has, you know, more than sure, actually, that he has gotten to where he is, you know, on his own talent too. He wouldn't have moved through the ranks as he has 
if it wasn't for his ability to, and he's a bit of a late bloomer, you got to say, um, you know, he doesn't immediately come into a category and set the world alight, you know, he takes some time, he takes about a year, as we saw in F3 and F2, that he takes a, a year and a bit to, you know, find his rhythm, and then when he comes on song, he is just amazing, as we've seen this year, and I said all along that, you know, 2021, you know, would be the year that we see Mick Schumacher come into F1, but he's got to prove himself first in the junior categories, he's got to be at least champion in F2 and F3, which, you know, hopefully he will be champion in F3, sorry, in F2 by the end of this weekend, he is already F3 champion, but whether that sort of mentality is going to cut it in F1, that's another question. Haas are a team who, you know, let's say next year they've got the same car carrying over, they're not really going to be in too much of a development phase for 2022 when the new cars come in. He is going to have to get on top of things really quickly, you know, and hopefully um, can stick around for some time. So that's only really the concern, and, you know, not having a benchmark either in terms of, an experienced teammate to go off as well was going to be a bit difficult, but, you know, hey, you know, I'm just glad that the kids finally made it and done it, done it properly, you know, that, you know, I don't feel like it's been rushed or anything too, and that deadline of 2021 that I've had in my mind for the last few years, any time that we've talked about, uh, young Mick is going to finally come to fruition, so, yeah, that's the, the driver news, and then as far as all the seats remaining are concerned, it only really leaves two seats available, even though we haven't had Hamilton confirmed at Mercedes next year, you'd think that that's pretty much a, a given, and basically leaves a seat at Red Bull and Alpha Tauri up for grabs, and as I said earlier, it could be decided um, just after the season ends there in Abu Dhabi, so yeah, and a real unknown for this weekend too, opportunity for some surprise results, one hopes, you know, the midfield constructors championship battle as well as pretty crucial at this stage, you know, opportunity for Williams to score some points too, even though Russell's going to be in the Mercedes, you know, maybe does Jack Aitken come in and um, score some points on debut, who knows, it's going to be a really exciting weekend, I think I'm better off waking up at, you know, four in the morning to watch this one than I was the last time out, because the race ended up finishing at 4am in the morning, you know, because of the red flag and everything in between, so, you know, not a lot of sleep between, you know, the race finishing and, and getting ready for work, but at least this time I can just wake up, have a good night's sleep, watch the race, and then head off to work um, straight after that, so, yeah, that pretty much does it for, for this week, I think, you know, I've um, been busy, of course, watching the one-day cricket, uh, we've got the 2020s on between Australia and India, this weekend, you know, busy as well, doing the NBA fantasy draft as well with uh, the same league that I did last year, you know, we're doing it as we speak, so made my picks so far, I think, what are we up to, like, pick, I don't think he's updated the spreadsheet, but um, probably up to, like, pick 120 or something at the moment, you know, out of 210, so, uh, you know, a fair bit to go still, but, you know, it's it's all good fun, I really enjoy it, um, looking forward to the new season of NBA starting, um, we finally had the Supercars calendar for next year, of course, um, confirmed as well, so we'll talk about that a bit later or another time, I'm sure, Formula E stuff as well, exciting, and yeah, you know, that, that's pretty much it, you know, I hope everyone just 
stay safe, um, has a good weekend, enjoy the racing that's coming up, and um, yeah, we'll be back next week to wrap up Abu Dhabi, sorry, not wrap up Abu Dhabi, but preview Abu Dhabi instead, but, and also wrap up the Sakia Grand Prix and see how old Georgie boy does in his first race for a Mercedes. Thanks guys, and we'll see you next time.